Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Hello and welcome to the fourth and final episode of our special mini-series of the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, in which we're exploring with expert guests how to unlock effective communication, an essential ingredient in progressing the lives of others, as well as ourselves. In this episode, psycholinguist and leading expert in communication mastery, Felicity Wingrove, shares some really insightful tools and techniques about practical ways we can all improve the effectiveness and impact of our communication. If you've missed them, please do check out previous episodes, which feature a range of experts, including Professor Damien Hughes, star of the High Performance Podcast and author of Liquid Thinking, Sarah Hanna from the Barry Waymiller Project, Anike and Petra from the Potential Project, and Esther Crichton, who explains how to use psychometric profiling to improve communication. It's been a great mini-series, and we hope you do enjoy this final instalment with Felicity Wingrove, hosted by Andrew Beard. Felicity, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you back on. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's brilliant to be here. Firstly, one of the inspirations for this podcast was taken from a quote I heard from Bob Chapman, who was ranked number three CEO in the world. And he said that in his opinion, the language of business is broken. In what ways can you relate to that statement? Oh, I think absolutely. Um, but it isn't just business language. We're talking about communication. People separate business and business language from uh, communication in all other areas of their life. And I think I think communication as a whole is is broken and needs work. Yeah, and not just related to business then. Um, and why do you think it's broken overall then? What do you think is causing it? I think we're not taught to understand that we come to communication without what I would term language hygiene. So language hygiene is when you're able to release all of your biases and your preferred filters and all your preferences, or at least to see that you have them and come into something in quite a different way. The majority of us think that communication is just a simple, straightforward process. They don't realize every time they step up to communicate with someone, they're dragging behind them suitcases full of experience and filters and meaning that isn't the truth, it's their truth. And that's something very different. You mentioned there it's their truth. One of the themes that we've touched upon in this series is the concept of meeting people at their energy and their needs. So are you saying that in the main here, that we're actually meeting people with our communication, uh, at our needs and our energy rather than the other way around? Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. Okay. And presumably this is setting off disruptive emotions then because we everything is always an emotional connection. So if we're communicating to people in, in our way. So if I'm a straight talker and I'm talking in a, in a straight way to someone that doesn't need me to be a straight talker, this is setting off negative emotional patterns. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's all sorts of it. Think of it as a minefield. Communication is essentially a minefield. And unless we're aware of what could trigger the person that we're speaking with, 
we can enter what we think is actually a really straightforward conversation. And this could be with a partner, with a family member. It could be um, as part of a board presentation, standing on stage, delivering a speech to 2,000 people. All of these forms of communication are at risk, I suppose, by by all of this potential baggage, by this risk of triggering others. You you, you were saying then about bringing your own um, your own kind of preferences and style. I think there's also by by not acknowledging that your truth, your meaning that you ascribe to certain words and phrases is not going to be the same as other people. There's real danger. So. My, my question was going to be what can organizations do to put this right but i guess if we're talking on a society level what can we all do to start to put this right i think we need to start to bring a conscious awareness to the filters that we're running to recognize that we're not showing up as clean that we are showing up with certain words and phrases that will trigger us that we're showing up with a whole baggage full of meaning for, for, for other words and phrases and that we have other preferences so when you think of the brain um various studies have been done no one's ever gotten down to an agreed amount of stimuli that the brain will process at exactly and some people will talk in the hundreds of thousands some will talk in the millions but what we do know is that the, the conscious mind is capable of processing between five and nine pieces of stimuli every second so taking the lower estimation of hundreds of thousands everything else is deleted distorted or generalized and we have rules that our brain has created as to what happens, which of, which of those thousands of pieces of information works through the filters and gets through to our conscious mind. So what we see is not the truth and what we hear is not the truth. It's our truth, absolutely, undoubtedly, wholly and wholeheartedly, but it's just a single face of a diamond, which is much deeper and more impactful, more powerful. So you mentioned and that that's really really interesting as a concept you mentioned a minute ago uh, we talked about baggage and preferences now mm -hmm. if you flip that around presumably people are bringing to organizations uh, so if we're talking about someone being communicated to presumably they're bringing their emotional baggage to an organization uh, and and to effectively the the communication that they're having if we think about leader uh, team member, for example, or it could be team member to team member, but they're bringing this baggage with them. I think that the psychological term is transference. So this is also mm -hmm. a key factor in, in how uh, communication can break down. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there are the brain runs meta programs. Um, so Leslie um, Cameron Bandler first kind of pioneered this concept back in the sort of 60s and 70s. And, and this idea is that the brain is a, a supercomputer and metaprograms are the, the smaller programs that are running each time. And those metaprograms run on a, uh, a kind of flat matrix, if you like, of, of um, a two very distinct and opposing preferences. So, for example, you could be a global person or a specific person. A global person is someone who is very, very big picture. They're all about the the, the wider impact. They're, they're the kind of people that, what, why is that important? And why is that important? And why is that important? And we get to that, that huge point at the end of it where it's it's global you know, world peace. The specific person will take an issue or a topic and will go into the detail and the detail and the detail. And they want to know the minutiae. Now, we're not one or the other. We're somewhere on that spectrum. 
but you will have a preference. You will either want to be big picture or you want to be detailed. And if you're speaking, if you're big picture and you're speaking to someone who is a detailed person and not giving them what they need, then they're going to be bringing a lot of baggage and emotion to that, that connection. They're not just going to be thinking that you're withholding. They're going to be thinking, perhaps, if they're specific and you're global, they're going to be thinking that you don't know. They're going to be bringing all sorts of assertions and beliefs and, and thoughts and feelings around why, why are you not more prepared? Why, why don't you have that level of now there's a lot of a lot of baggage that's going to be triggered from that one program and and we have hundreds of these programs and um, another one is towards or away from it can cause huge disconnect so a towards person is motivated by opportunity and gain and an away from person is motivated by the mitigation of risk you could be driven to earn money because you want to achieve a goal, an amazing lifestyle. You've got a picture in your mind of the house you're going to be living in and the car you're going to be driving and all of the things you're going to be gaining. Or it could be that you're motivated to make money. Same motivation. You're motivated to make money because you don't want to be poor. You don't want to worry about how you're going to pay your bills. You don't want to not be able to buy your kids Christmas presents. Now, if I speak to you from a towards motivation perspective, and I position an argument or I position a case and it's all about what you're going to gain and you are away from motivated. We go back to these, these filters that we talked about before. Either the message will be deleted, distorted, or it will be generalized. If it's deleted, it won't get through to you at all. If it's distorted, you're going to see it through a different pane on filter. If it's generalized, you're going to take it and you're going to um, combine it with other thoughts or, or concepts that have been introduced by me, by someone else, by the wider world, and it's going to become part of something that I never intended. Either way, I, as the communicator, have no control over how it lands for you. It's really, really interesting points, and, and it illustrates where well, it's the unique human code, isn't it? Each person has mm -hmm. their, like you said, their own preferences, their own filters, they're at different points on the spectrum. As you were talking about it, I, I remember there was a, an example from a working relationship I had a few years ago where I was working with a lady, she was a, a top performer, super motivated. However, of course, growth mindset, everyone has opportunities for improvement. And I remember as I was looking to talk to her about where she could improve and how she could improve, you could almost see the filters going up. Well, I'll probably even say they weren't filters at this point, they were probably just barriers. And it got to a point where I, I remember reading about this concept of transfers, and I thought, I'm just gonna give this a try. So I sat down and said, look, when I'm attempting to give you some constructive feedback on how you can get better to achieve what you want to achieve and, and why you want to achieve it, I'm seeing quite a lot of resistance. And I know about this concept, so this is what it is. And it's almost like a light bulb went off in her head. And she said, you know what I was thinking as you're saying this? I'm going back to a previous working relationship I had with a, with a line manager where real, he realized that my work wasn't good enough it was there were mistakes in it but he deliberately sent that on to the client almost to teach me a lesson and she said as you're talking to me about these areas of improvement i'm going back to these conversations so from that moment on we were we were able and it still wasn't ideal she still found it difficult from time to time to hear constructive feedback as, as we all often can again it links to this um you know everything we we filter is from an emotional perspective but at least we were able to construct some different language or words that I was able to use with her to in order to get the best out of that relationship. So it illustrates the point about how you can literally 
engage or motivate or disengage or motivate someone with, with these conversations that you're having with them. Completely. I think it's fantastic that you had the, the, the emotional intelligence to recognize the challenges she was having and that you were able to bring in a skill set that would help her or some tools that would help her to overcome that. Because she's, what she's looking for is psychological safety and she's feeling psychologically unsafe. So she will be looking, if you think again about the filter she's running, she'll be looking for evidence that you were trying to um, sabotage or jeopardize or belittle. So any words that were open to interpretation, he will have been interpreting from the negative as, as examples. The brain as a supercomputer is one of the most brilliant pieces of engineering that, that we have ever known and probably ever will know, but it's also in some ways really dumb. It runs on rails. The brain cannot process a negative. You know, it, everyone's done the, you know, don't picture a pink elephant. You know, you have to picture it in order to not be able to see it. The brain can't deal with a negative. One of the most awkward things ever is to go to a kid's playground and watch the parents, helicopter parents, telling their children, don't fall. And I sit there as a psychologist thinking, wow. And of course, they fall. They do exactly what they've been told not to because we don't understand don't. And going back to your colleague, your team member, she wouldn't have understood she wouldn't have understood that you were trying to keep her safe. You were trying to give her constructive feedback and make her better. She will have been responding from um, that kind of um, visceral pain point that she was taken to previously. Right. Well, there's my takeaway from today. I'm going to try and not to do as many don'ts as possible. Let let them let them be in that moment in the playground. Not easy to do, like you said, the helicopter parenting. Just turn it into the positive. So rather than saying don't fall, say to them, um, really watch your footing. You tell them what you do want them to do. I'm forever running behind my kids saying, take care. So we need, we need a dictionary here of, of words to say rather than don't fall. Language filters is, is a fascinating subject and it's clearly something that plays a, a crucial role then in progressing lives through communication. And, and I'm assuming there are courses and books and, and we could probably hold uh, degrees on, on this. But if we try to make this as, as digestible as practical for, for leaders or, 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 or we're talking again about society. So we're trying to make it as practical and digestible for people as possible. W what can we do to really go about understanding the filters of, of those key relationships that, that we have? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one I would say is something called hot buttons. So a hot button is um, a core word or phrase that someone will share when they are talking to you, uh, it can be actually, it can be via email, it, um, via letter, via carrier pigeon, you know, any way that they're communicating with you. But the hot button is the, the, the kind of anchor point of the emotional state that the person's coming from. And we as leaders need to recognize what that is and reflect it back exactly as it's presented to us. So if I take that into a customer service situation, if I was having a conversation with you, imagine that my meal, I wasn't happy. I'd come up, you were the manager of the restaurant, and I just said to you, I am really unhappy. If you reflected back to me, I'm so sorry that you're annoyed. I didn't say I was annoyed. Annoyed means something very different to me than unhappy. I said I was unhappy. What I need you to do is to recognize and reflect my hot button and then to future pace me to where I am going to be psychologically, emotionally satisfied. So you would say to me, I'm so sorry to hear that you're unhappy. What I'm going to do is, and then you would future pace. But the point being that I have been emotion, I, emotionally, I feel that I've been hurt. If you hadn't have used my words back to me, I would have felt that I was 
being pulled into your understanding and that creates even more distance it creates more dis-ease and actually irritation that's when you start seeing the emotional escalation and you see people getting angry and and that links in actually to, to something else that people can be aware of so um we talk about sensory language there are five or six but but Probably about 95% of the population are covered by the top three, and, and that's uh, it's known as VAC language, so visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Visual people process the world by what they can see. They tend to be um, quite literal. They'll talk colours, they'll talk size and shape um, in their descriptives. Um, there are auditory people, and again, they're quite lyrical and quite musical in terms of how they process the world around them. And then kinesthetic people are very much around how things feel. You can usually see a kinesthetic person because when they're, they're struggling for a word, they start rubbing their fingers together or moving their hands or it, you know, if they can't describe something, they say something's just, oh, you know, they'll, they'll give a squeeze. And you can hear it, the back language, because someone will say, I don't get what you're saying. I, I, I just can't see it. I just can't. I, it doesn't look right to me. An auditory person, you know, it doesn't ring true. It doesn't sound right. A, a, a kinesthetic person, you know, my gut, it just doesn't sit right in my gut, you know. It's exactly the same sense that they're expressing, but they're giving you an indication of their preferred language. And if you've ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation with someone and they're, they're throwing their hands in the air saying, I don't get why you don't hear me. The likelihood is that you're presenting your information from a different sense of language. And all you need to do is be aware because you can pivot really easily and you can reflect to them. OK, I do hear you. Let me reframe that. And you can tell them what you were telling them just with some subtle differences. And it goes back to the analogy of the diamond that just needs to be turned so that the person you're communicating with is looking at a different face of the diamond. No less authentic, no less true, but just reflected in a way in which they can engage most easily. You're creating a, a, an easy communication path for them. Um, there's one other filtering, processing, information gathering filter. I'd love to share because it's actually quite an important one and, and it's um it's taught to trainers. It's called format, it's number four and then MAT. And it's all about information density preferences. Um, it works on the basis that there are four types of information preference. You have your why people who want a one-liner that's going to put the hairs on the back of their neck up on end and really engage them at a kind of excited gut level. You then got your what people who want a chunky paragraph underneath it with some detail, not too much just enough, the kind of Goldilocks level. Then you've got your how people who want all of that and 10 bullet points. And then you've got your what if people and they're the people who wanna know what happens if it's raining and it's on a Tuesday. So I've used the analogy before, if I was gonna ask you to cook dinner, the why statement would be, we haven't seen anyone for ages, let's get a big gang of us together, let's have a great meal, stick something in the middle of the table, we can just chat all night. And if you're a white person, that's all you need. The what person would want to know, you know, are we doing Chinese? Are we doing Indian? Is it going to be, uh, you know, Italian pasta? They want to know how many people would be around the table. Your how people would want all of that, but they also want to know dietary preferences, what time everyone's coming and uh, what are we having? Uh, what are we serving wine-wise and what are we having for starter and dessert so that they can frame it? And your what if people want to know what happens if the oven breaks? What happens if it's raining on a Tuesday and if no one can attend? Or what happens if we don't have enough chairs? Now, the reason that's important is if your message needs to land with that person and you start going into what if level detail for a why person, you will literally see them close down because the information will be utterly overwhelming. Equally, if you are giving why level detail, 
you're a real detail person, you'll start to see them like a bunny in a headlight freeze and panic because they're trying to imagine how they're going to make a meal. They, they don't know how many people there are. How can they How They literally, the stress levels rise and they either make bad decisions because they go off without asking for the clarification they need or they sit in a state of complete anxiety and, and kind of cobble together the best that they can do. And as leaders, it's our responsibility to frame our requests and our briefs in a way that our team need us to. So there are times when I brief my team that I sit down because I'm a white person. I mean, if I, if I had my way, I'd give them all a one-liner and they can just happily go on and do. But I sometimes sit down and write briefing documents that are a full A4 page. And I think to myself, oh, I, should, I could just do it myself. But, but I don't because they need that detail. They're going to do an amazing job. There's some really brilliant points that you've made in the last few minutes. I, I just wanted to lift out a few of them um, to, to summarise. If I go back through what you just mentioned there, if first of all, if we look at the concept, because obviously what we were talking about in the beginning was, was individual relationships. So from what you've just been through in those different models and, and, and formats that we can look at, you, there are there are clear there's clear evidence that we can go through in our conversation with people to start to understand where their preferences are, and then really that comes down to awareness and, and, and the discipline of doing it and then again you mentioned the diamond so once we've figured it out with the individuals and our key relationships we can really reverse the diamond so that was one thing that, that really stood out then you meant with the the format you've just mentioned the briefing document presumably if you've got to get a briefing out whether it's then to a department and organization you can use those different levels. So for the Y people, that's your opening statement, right? So that's all they need to see, bam, done. And then for the rest of them, you then layer it right through to then the, 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 the you know, down to the, the house, et cetera. They're getting what they need from it at the same time. Presumably that's what you can do. Absolutely. And that's the most perfect way of doing it. So it's an inverted triangle. You start with the hero stuff at the top, and you work your way down. And even in things like a website, for example, what you do, you can give you can give enough information for your whys and your whats. Yeah. And then you can do a click through to a fact sheet or to a downloadable guide for people that need that more information. So you can't always divide things into four ways. But but as long as you sit, people in the top half are good. I, as a why person, I don't mind reading what level detail because I'll skim it. That's fine for me. What I don't want is to get into the minutiae and the terms and the the appendices. Uh, I literally, you know, I I lose the will to live. I can relate to that. The, the hot buttons. That was really interesting. There's a guy called Chris Voss, who was uh, the ex head of the FBI negotiating force, and he'd written a book called Never Split the Difference. And he talks a lot about when he was negotiating with the with obviously the hostage takers, etc., the terrorists that it was really about building those emotional connections with them in order to get them to move to where they needed them to be. And he talked about the concept of mirroring. So you, you mentioned someone says they're not happy. Like you said, you say, oh, I'm sorry that you're not happy. The other thing that he, he talked about was the, the concept of obviously empathising with people relating to them. So it sounds like or it seems like. So rather than make that definitive, you are unhappy with this. You, you make a speculation or an educated guess that this is how that person's feeling. So it really starts to, to again, to build that emotional connection with, with, with the individual. So I think, again, reversing the diamond, these, these are brilliant practical points that people can do. And uh, like I said a minute ago, this is about one, awareness and discipline to start practicing it and doing it and being intentional about how you're going into these conversations or these communication moments. 
I'm going to be like this in this conversation in order for this this person or these people to get the best from it. Completely. And I think Chris Voss's book is amazing. And, and you're exactly right. When he's talking about reaching that state of rapport and remote rapport with people and reflecting back to them, that's when your back language can come in. So you might say to one person, what I'm hearing is to another person, you might say, well, it seems like or it feels like what you're telling me is. And for another, you might say, OK, so what I can see is the same point, but you're building your connection with them by rec recognizing and showing that you recognize their language. They may never know that they're running those filters. For them, it's just the truth. But you know that their truth and your truth are not the truth. I know I keep repeating that, but it's, it's quite a profound statement. When you keep that in mind, when you're having a conversation with your wife or your husband over dinner and and you just think, did you not listen to a word I just said? Remind yourself, their truth is not the truth. They heard what they needed to hear. How can you best reflect what they missed? Because you didn't land it. And that's your responsibility as the communicator. You know, it's your responsibility to make sure that the person that you're communicating with takes away everything that you want them to. And if they don't, that's on you. Perception is reality. Absolutely. It's really fascinating. The And actually, when we talk through it, there isn't, we, you don't have to go on a day's training course to start to practically apply this this material, this content, these concepts. You, you can, it's, as I said, start with some awareness, start with just working through the models and start to figure out within the key relationships that you've got. So thank you very much for sharing some of those. And obviously, within some of these models, if people are interested, they can start to go and research it further. A couple of final questions for you. In this episode in particular has featured language filters, psychometrics, etc. What would you say to someone who's a bit sceptical about this, about say, they might say, well, a psychometric is just a computer, for example. What would you say to them in terms of how these things can really go on to improve communication? I think anyone who um, poo-poo's things like psychometrics, I think it's crazy personally. You know, what, what a psychometric test does is it gives you some framework around someone's potential preferences and it allows you to deep dive into framing a conversation that's going to land most effectively to and for them. And any insight into that kind of framework, it's something that we would do naturally anyway. If you and I met for the very first time, we would find some commonality. It's what we programmed to do in the evolutionary level psychologically. We would find within five minutes we support the same football team or that we are both going off somewhere or we love holidaying in Greece or it's something that seems spurious, but those points of connection are really important. And by doing that, essentially what we're doing is creating the container through which we can have our conversation. And that container is unique to us. I will have a different container with another person. If, I, if someone else joins our conversation, the container changes because suddenly it's a one-to-many communication and not a one-to-one. -one. Um, what psychometrics do, and they can be really powerful, is they can allow you and remind you that your truth is not the truth. Um, you know, we use disc profiles quite a lot um, in, in my agency and um, I'm an ID. I'm so, so I am falling off the end. So I'm all about the kind of connection and the, and the people stuff. One of my team is a D and there are times that he can come across as really harsh and he doesn't mean to. I have to remind myself, you know, he is, he is direct, he's dominant, he is. And he has to go back into his emails to me at the very beginning and weave in. I hope you're well. Did you have a great weekend? Because he doesn't start with any of that. But he knows because of the intelligence that we have with our with our psychometric profiles. But that's my expectation that we'll do a little bit of, of the bonding stuff first. And then we'll get down to business. 
Brilliant. And it's all the, the, the salient point, the message through all of this is not about you. You've got to adapt yourself to meet others' needs to get the best out of your relationship. And there was a thought that came into my head when we were talking about these, these models. Someone might say, well, I haven't got the time to do that. But if you invest the time in this, this could save huge amounts of time in, well, interviewing for positions where people have left where they didn't need to. Their time saved in terms of getting the right message to people so they feel empowered to go on and deliver on what they need to deliver on. It could be the, the time invested now could present significant uh, time benefits in, in the future and, and, of course, psychological benefits as well. Completely. And it doesn't have to be an onerous task. This isn't that you need to go and sit down and do an MBA equivalent and in two years time, suddenly you'll be a communication ninja. This is about bringing conscious awareness to what you're doing and whether it's the truth. Bring conscious awareness to what someone else is telling you and how they're telling it and just get better. It's like going to the gym. You don't suddenly have to drop everything in your life and train for a marathon, you know, be marathon ready in two weeks. You you go for a gentle run and then you extend it and you build the muscle. And this is what I term language and communications mastery. And it doesn't come overnight, but it, it's a bit like driving a car as well. You know, I don't know about you, the first time I sat behind the wheel, I thought, how can we do, you know, manual? How can we do all of this at the same time? And yet there are times when I drive myself home and I haven't been conscious at all. I'm still safe, obviously, but, you know, I've gone into the automatic mode. Uh, not only can I do it all, I can do so much more as well. But it's about that mastery. Absolutely. Well, you are the last guest and some fantastic insights. So as the last guest, we'll give you the final word for this communication series, Progressing Lives Everywhere Through Communication. What would your closing thought be about how we can progress lives with scratch business how can we simply progress lives in society through our communication? Oh, what a great place to be. The final one, the wrap up the pressure. Do you know, I would say, and I'm conscious that this does sound a little beauty queen-esque, you know, world peace, but I do genuinely believe that the majority of the issues in our society come from miscommunication, misunderstanding and distrust that comes from that. And there's a lot of division where we're healing as a society from incredibly divisive events and, and people. Actually, if we are able to achieve a degree of language mastery, we can give someone or gift them the, 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 the feeling of being seen and heard and understood. And that would genuinely make the world a better place. Very inspiring. Felicity, thank you very, very much for joining again. As always, the passion and energy that you bring to your work is truly inspiring. And, and there's a lot of I'm going to re-listen to this and, and start to formulate the filters for my team and start to, to really look at those key relationships. So thank you ever so much. And I've no doubt we'll be having you back on again at some point in the future and continue the great work you're doing progressing lives through, through the, the, the organization that, that you work for. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Amoria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.